All right, good morning, and welcome to the Christian Entrepreneurship class. Uh, they asked me to do this class on entrepreneurship, and, and I thought, well, we should just title it Christian Entrepreneurship, because as Christians, that should be tied together, amen? And uh, this is on the back wall of our chapel at Daystar, and it is a constant reminder to everyone there, every time we come to church, every time we have a class in there, to know God and to make him known is our business here. And so as, you, as I go through this here and you think about these things, and, and I give you a few little ideas, I'm by no means a professional entrepreneur. I kind of more consider myself uh, just a little bit better at the side hustle uh, kind of a situation. I've always had a little side hustle going, and people have always said, oh, you're so entrepreneurial. I didn't even know what that word meant. But may we be like the Israelites of old, um, like the Bible tells us in First Chronicles twelve thirty two, and the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. So may we be connected and sensitive to God's Spirit and, and, and know what it is we're to be doing in, these, in, these, in this very short time that we have left. Um, and really the backbone of any entrepreneurial endeavor that we embark upon, may it be something that we realize our business is to know God first and foremost, and for that to spill out to others around us and to make him known. Obviously, we want to spread the seeds of the gospel. And our example being Christ, he that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, is told to us in Matthew thirteen thirty-seven. And so we are all called to sow that seed, right? No matter how old we are, no matter what our occupation is, we are called to sow that gospel seed. And the farming analogy of sharing the gospel is, is one of the best lesson books that we have. I mean, that is why, you know, like this morning it was mentioned, you know, the, the right arm of the gospel, the health message starts with what? Starts with agriculture, right? And and really, it starts in the soil, and the soil representing the heart, there is a heart work to be done, right? Um, Jeremiah 4.3 tells us to break up the fallow ground and to not sow amongst the thorns. So we have a, a science of the gospel that we are to apply in spreading the word as we uh, endeavor to bring people into the kingdom. The parable of the sower and the seed, the sower did not go out to sow seed on the path and to sow seed in the weeds and to sow seed on the rocks. It says that a sower went forth to sow seed and some seed fell on the rock. Some seed fell outside of his field of influence that he had prepared to receive that seed. Look at what Ellen White tells us here. She says, the sowers of the seed have a work to do in preparing hearts to receive the gospel. In ministry of the word, there is too much sermonizing and too little real heart-to-heart work. There is, a need of personal, uh, there is a need of personal labor for the souls of the lost. In Christ-like sympathy, we should come close to men individually and seek to awaken their interest in the great things of eternal life. Before the seed even comes out, before you even present somebody with the gospel seed, there's a work to do in preparing their hearts. Interesting. She goes on to say, their hearts may be as hard as, hard as the beaten highway, and apparently it may be a useless effort to present the Savior to them. But while logic may fail to move, an argument be powerless to convince. I mean, how many times have we been in an argument, <laughs> right? And, and we realize that really doesn't work, right? Um, the love of Christ revealed in personal ministry may soften the stony heart so that the seeds of truth can take root. That's Christ's Object Lessons, page 57. And if you haven't read through Christ's Object Lessons lately, I encourage you to read it again. If you haven't read it, read it. It's, it is incredible, the lessons that Christ drew upon of just the daily things that were around them. So there is a... a, a a plow, right? We call it the gospel plow, right? We even sing that song, right? That we're soldiers in the army and we have our hands on not a sword, 
Well, maybe it is a sword. The gospel plow, that blade that cuts, right? To dividing of joint and marrow, directly coming right into the heart. And notice that the plow, it has two handles on it, right? And who's really doing the work? The Lord is, right? He's that ox. He says, if you're, if you're burdened and heavy laden, come take, a, take my yoke upon you, right? For my burden is what? Is easy and my, or my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? It's, he's the one doing the work. We're simply walking the walk, balancing this gospel plow. And it has two handles because there's truth and love, right? We could know all truth understand everything there is to know about the gospel, but if we don't have love, if our other hand is not on guiding, helping guide that plow, we're walking around just beating people over the head, clanging our cymbal, tooting our horn. So the plow. The gospel is the central theme of the Bible, which is the restoration of the image of God in the souls of men. That is the purpose, right? Is to reinstate that image that God created us in the very beginning. That's from book, uh, the book Education, page 125. So the question becomes, what are we growing? What is the purpose of the seeds planted in the heart? Every seed brings forth fruit after its kind, so the seed under right conditions in it will develop its own life in the plant. Receive into the soul by faith the incorruptible seed of the word, and it will bring forth a character and life after the similitude of the character and life of God. Amen? So God, that's the purpose of the gospel. It's to bring us back to the state in which God created us to be, and that is a likeness of his character. So ye shall know them by their fruits, right? So what are we called to be then? It's the same calling that God called Abraham and the entire nation of Israel which we are a part of in these last days, right? Being spiritual Israel. So what did God call Abram to be? The Bible says in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, And the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country from thy father's house and from thy kindred, right? And go into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. How does he make him of a great nation? Thou shalt be a, a blessing. Right? And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is our calling. We are called to be a blessing. So, as you think about ways in which you, ideas that you have and you want to start something up, totally ask yourself, how can you be a blessing? Here's a, a quick analogy, something to remember when you're thinking about uh, taking the risk of starting something new, Right? Here's a guy falling down. This isn't me, but I do a lot of skateboarding, and I have fallen down a lot. And one thing about falling down, it teaches you how not to fall down. And what, is it, what does the Bible tell us? In Proverbs 24, 16, for the just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked fall into mischief, and they just don't learn from their mistake, right? So don't be scared of falling. That's why when you're younger, it's easier to take a risk because, you, you know, you, you're more resilient. Uh, you're, young people are more uh, apt to, to try something new. You know, you, you take an old person, you say, hey, you want to go snow skiing? They're like, no, if they've never been, right? But little kids are like, yeah, let me try those things, you know, and they fall and they fall and they fall. Like my, my daughter, we've been skiing uh, a couple, three times a year each time uh, each year at Daystar. And this year, she's like, Dad, I want to try snowboarding. Okay. And so at first, she's like, hold my hand, hold my hand. Ah. And, she, and I finally just said, look, the best way for you to learn is just to, just to do it. And she fell down, and she fell down, and she fell down. And, but all of a sudden, it was amazing. Within five runs, she was getting the hang of it. And it was really, really incredible to watch. Uh, just a few statistics here, college statistics. Okay, I went to college, and I fall into uh, this category here. 50% drop out. I didn't drop out. I did, well, actually, I did drop out right at the end. I went six and a half years of college, and I dropped out uh, 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 six months before finishing because I was unwilling to uh, continue taking out loans, okay? I didn't want to go into debt anymore, and I, my Cal Grant had ran out, so when my Cal Grant ran out, I quit. 
50% of those who go to college drop out, and of the remaining 50%, only 20% work in the field that they studied. So you have a 10% chance of actually finishing and then working in the area in which you study in college. 10%. That's not very good odds. So really think about your choice of going to college. If that's, if that's where the Lord, you feel the Lord calling you to do, then, then go do that. If you're specific in what you want to do and you really are a de- dedicated student and you're ready to finish, you know, do it. But you know what? I wish somebody would have talked me out of college in the, in the beginning because I had a lot of ideas that I actually wanted to be a chef. I went and toured a, a culinary school. And the thing that the deal breaker for, the, for me there was the guide said, well, you know, you're going to work every weekend and every holiday until you make Master Chef. And I said, no, I'm not, and did not decide to do that. I didn't have any, no one said, hey, start a food truck, start your own thing. I didn't have that mentorship there. So that's an important thing, mentors, having a mentor um, in the endeavors that you do. So Dr. Christopher is one of my mentors. I've never met this guy, but he's one of my mentors. Um, He formulated over 50 herbal formulas. He started the School of Natural Healing, and... um, his cleanses and, and, the, and the remedies that he put together are absolutely phenomenal. Um, there's a, a lady, an Adventist lady I just met. Highway to Health was the name of their ministry. I tried to get a hold of her before I came, but I can't remember. I think they needed to change the name for some reason. Somebody else had that name. Um, but she puts together all of Dr. Christopher's cleanses and things, and for a fraction of the price that Dr. Schultz puts them together. If you guys are familiar with Dr. Schultz, he actually went to the School of Natural Healing himself um, and was there when Dr. Christopher died and actually took over the school for a bit teaching, and a lot of his formulas are formulated after Dr. Christopher's uh, formulas. So uh, his whole approach is all disease is due to some sort of blockage, so the sooner you Cleanse the bowels, cleanse the liver, cleanse the kidneys, healing can take place. And that makes sense. That, that, I mean, that is straight up biblical. How often was the sanctuary cleansed? Every year. And I asked myself, well, huh, I never heard about cleansing my body every year. I've never actually done that. And so I have, I have done his incurables cleanse. He has a 30-day detox cleanse. And then when I met um, Linda Clark is her name that started... Um, um, highway to Health. I got the cleanses from her. She can get her, the Dr. Christopher's Incurables cleanse for like 145 bucks or 150 bucks or something. And it's super powerful to do a cleanse. Um, my wife and I usually try to do it in June. Is it, this last year we didn't get to it, but the two previous years we had. And it was my wife's mother and my mother-in-law who said, "Go down." We were living in Venice Beach at the time, and. And this is in Marina Del Rey, the only shop that Dr. Schultz has. And she goes, go down to Dr. Schultz and, and uh, pick me up a bottle of Supertonic. And I go into this room, and I wish it used to, I couldn't find a picture of what it used to say when I first went in there. It was big painted letters on the wall. Here it says, it's kind of hard to read, but it says, uh, stop doing what makes you sick and start doing what will create powerful health. It used to say, stop doing what's killing you and start to do what's going to create a healing miracle in your life. And Schultz, he's a very uh, um, interesting guy. Uh, when you listen to a lot of his stuff, uses some colorful language and whatnot, so be warned there. But he, um, he's very clear that he does not heal anyone, that he simply shows people what they need to do to create healing in their life. And it's not just a quick fix. This is a full lifestyle change. He's fully preaching the health message, vegan lifestyle, and cleansing uh, the detoxifying organs of the body. And so I went in there, and I was like, what's Supertonic, you know? And, and uh, so I started buying this stuff as well, and I was paying $24 for a little two-ounce dropper bottle, and I got about five of these dropper bottles on my shelf, and I'm like, well, I'm going to take my 24 bucks and just go buy the garlic and the ginger and the habanero peppers and the horseradish and, the, and uh, onions and juice that myself and put it in some Bragg apple cider vinegar and make the stuff. So I started just making it for about five years. Um, I just gave it away to my friends and family in an unmarked brown dropper bottle. And finally, some friend said, you should do a Kickstarter. So this is one of my first bits of advice. How many of you have heard of Kickstarter? Okay, good. A good number of you have heard of Kickstarter. This is a great social media platform to crowdfund basically a project or an idea that you have. And what I like about Kickstarter over some of the other ones, 
Um, some of the other ones, like the, if whatever money you kind of raise, they'll give you. Whereas Kickstarter, you put a goal. I said, I need $4,000 to buy myself, uh, to pay my friend to design a label and build me a website, buy a juicer that I, that I need, buy 1,000 bottles, and buy all the ingredients to fill those 1,000 bottles. So I worked out, need about $4,000. If you, and I, and I put on there, uh, I think I put 50 days or something. You can put like 30 to 60 days or something as your, as your window of raising these, these funds. If you don't, if it doesn't fund, if people don't jump on board with your idea and you only raise $2,000, nobody's card is charged and the project disappears from the website. So if you reach your goal, then you get that money and now it's on you to fulfill all the um, rewards that you put into the... So this is my page from Kickstarter. It's archived there. If, you do fund, if your project does fund, I did, my project did fund. It, it actually went to 4527 and that's the thing. It can go way over. If it goes viral, I mean, I've seen projects go way over. So be ready if, like, you know, you, what if uh, I would have to sell a million dollars worth of this stuff? Would I be able to do that? I don't know, you know? So... Um, there's a little home page. It's really good because it makes you sit down and write things out, tell your story. What you, you know, I'm 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 not a detail-oriented person. I'm an idea person, and so just because I have an idea, you know, I don't think about all the little details. And this 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 project on Kickstarter really helped me to formulate what my plan was. Um, and so you create these pledges. You know, if you pledge twenty-five bucks. Um, I'll send you a bottle, right? If you pledge 35 bucks, I'll send you two bottles. And you just kind of keep building this up. And in the end, only 81 people backed the project. That's all it took. And to raise the $4,527, and I, I sent out maybe 240 40 bottles. And I had bought 1,000. And the ingredients to fill the 1,000. So all of a sudden, you're up and running. You know, it's a way to kind of pre-sell um, something um, on there, so I suggest go on there, look at some projects, see how people are, what they're doing. Um, there's, it's split into all different categories, from food to technology to whatever, and um, and it's a it's a it's a good platform. Um, I did a little video, and I had a video here, but I couldn't get it to play. So uh, if you go on Kickstarter and you look, the the little follow up videos, my daughters and I, I literally like my daughter, my oldest daughter, had just been hearing me talk about it so much. I just came in one evening right before they went to bed, and I said, I said, here, just talk about the supertonic. That's all I said. And she launched into this whole little, well, this is supertonic, and da 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 and, and, I mean, it was like, it's a full-on ad. I wish, I wish the video would play. I had it here, and I, I tried to uh, get it to play, and it won't play, and it freezes. So, I don't know. So, she just started going into this thing. And then I told Lily, I said, hey, Lily, when she's done, come over and just say, my throat is hurting. I need some supertonic. And so Lily comes over, and she, and she couldn't pronounce any of her first consonants. You know, all the words didn't have their first consonants on it. So she's like, my oat is hurting. I need some upertonic, you know. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's hilarious. So, um, so it, I had a lot of fun building this, this uh, website. This is still part of it here, you know, let let food be thy medicine, and medicine thy food, the famous Hippocrates quote, which ironically is not in the Hippocrates' oath to do no harm. You know, when you become a doctor, I ask doctors, do you say this? And they go, no. <laughs> Interesting. So there, that's how I used to do it with just the brown bottles. Here was just a little picture I took of, of some preliminary designs of, of designing it, and here's the web page that, that uh, my friend designed for me. Um, and so... Um, I just have this one product on there. I, had, I called it Tommy's Tonics because I was going to try to come up with a whole line of stuff, and I never have. So uh, there's the one thing on there, um, and, uh, and there's, there's my store. That's it. Just a simple little few bundled packages, um, some T-shirts, whatever, and, and very simple. So um, it's really easy to build a website now. I haven't actually done it myself, but I've watched some of our students. Gideon here, he built, built a website using Wix and and it, it, uh, if you have the time, you can do it. So a lot of this kind of came out of uh, my necessity to want to take my family to camp meeting, for instance. Um, we were living in California, and I grew up going to the uh, SoCal camp meeting um, and in Central California there. And I've got 30 to 40 
family members that are always attending this camp meeting, so it's like a big family reunion. So I go and I, I set up a booth, and I was selling the Little Light DVDs that my, from the ministry my brother and I started, and, and I start, you can see I was already starting to branch into gardening here. I, I uh, was selling the sea salt and the wheatgrass, actually, and we, we brought a number of microgreens kits over there um, at the booth. So as a, I'm going to talk a little bit more about microgreens, but just on wheatgrass, I also brought my one handout here is this article. They're up here, so when you're done, make sure to come up and grab this article. It's called Feeding the Hidden Hunger, and it's an interview with this Dr. Don Jensen, who um, took over Maynard Murray's farm. Maynard Murray was the original researcher who started researching sea salt as a fertilizer in the garden. He started out actually following um, sailors around, fishermen, and autopsying all the creatures they were pulling out of the sea, looking at their tissues under microscopes and this and that, and he noticed that there was like absolutely no disease in anything that lives in the ocean. He even, they even caught a whale, had a baby. He cut out a piece of the, the whale mother meat and the baby's meat, and he sent those two cubes of identical-shaped meat to a university. He said, tell me which one's the mom and which one's the baby, and they couldn't tell. And so then he started going, there's something about the ocean. And so he started studying the ocean, and that's how he came across, oh, there's 90 minerals in the ocean. Well, they found two more. There's, so he started a company called C90, and there's actually two more. Uh, they've, they've found. So there's actually 92 minerals, so that kind of bugged me at it. So instead of calling it C90, my brother and I made a label and we called it Oceans 92 because there's actually 92 minerals, trace minerals, in the ocean. This is just dehydrated Pacific Ocean water. And these minerals are nearly identical to the minerals in your bloodstream with, like, respect to iron. Iron, there's a lot more iron. There's, not, there's hardly any iron in the, in the sea. That's why your blood is red, right? But it's so close that in World War II in the South Pacific, they had ran out of blood, and they knew this, and so they would filter the seawater, dilute it to the body's salinity. The ocean is, is twice the salinity of the human body. That's why if you drink a cup, you dehydrate a cup, and you die sooner if you drink ocean water. But if you mix ocean water one-to-one, you can double your water supply if you're surviving at sea and actually drink a briny water and, and be fine because you're matching your body's salinity. Well, they were taking ocean water, filtering, and and diluting it to the human body and directly injecting it into these guys' veins that needed blood and saving their lives with the seawater. They were taking coconuts and just putting a tube right in it, right into the vein, IV. Because the coconut tree will drink straight seawater. And coconut water is like nearly identical to your blood plasma. Um, So wheatgrass, I really kind of see as a cousin. That's what this article's about, you'll see. Um, this guy took over Maynard Ray's farm as a research farm in Florida, researching all this, using sea salt in the garden, and he turned his entire research focus to wheatgrass when he found out that wheatgrass will take up all 92 minerals out of the ocean, plus a few more, and become a fully mineralized plant. Like, no other plant does that. I mean, that text from this morning, it kind of hit me there. The first thing that came forth from the earth was what? It was grass right? And herds of animals, very robust, very strong animals, live on nothing but grass. You take any survival class, your first go-to food is any jointed grass. And you can't eat the grass, you're simply just chewing it, getting the juice out, and spitting it out. And Anne Wigmore, she survived with her grandmother and her mother in Austria in World War II, hiding in a wall, and every night, Anne, she would have Anne go out, crawl around, and pick as many blades of grass and stuff her pockets full of grass, and they just sat on the wall and they ate grass. And they didn't get malnutrition, they didn't starve to death, and they survived that situation. She went on to start the Hippocrates Institute, and one of the big things they show when you go to that is how to grow and consume wheatgrass juice. So I started doing wheatgrass juice at my bar. I bought a little $50 stainless steel wheatgrass juicer, and so I always tell people start with a, the hurricane is really the best one. It's a little bit more than a hundred bucks, but you can always do it. You don't need power. And, um, to juice that wheatgrass grown with seawater, it's completely different. Everybody that came by, I said, have you ever had wheatgrass? They said, yeah, it's disgusting. I said, where'd you, where'd you have it? And they said, uh, Jamba juice. 
And I said, okay, well, jamba juice, if you notice, they're not even growing it in any sort of soil. They just sprout the tr- seeds in a tray, and they water it, and they, that grass is starving to death. And so you might as well go and just kind of trim the lawn out front. And, and it, that's what it tastes like. It just is straight-up grass. They, taste, they would taste the grass that I grew with the seawater, and they were like, whoa, it's, it's so sweet. And it has so much flavor because it's fully mineralized. And... Um, and, and then I, I found, like that first year, I grew a couple, couple few trays. The next year, doubled that. The next year, and this, this last summer would have been my seventh consecutive year. They, did, they canceled the camp meeting, obviously, because of what was going on. But um, I got it up to a point where, I, and, I, and I would do this at my campsite. So I would set up two 10 by 10 easy ups, put walls around it. And um, the year before last, uh, I grew 110 trays of microgreens and wheatgrass. The week before camp meeting start, I show up a week early. It's kind of nice. You get to go to the beach a week early, right? So I go out to the beach early. We, I set up my whole camp. I got all these trays. Every day I would plant 12 trays or so and for, the, for 10 days before camp meeting start. And then the 10 days of camp meeting, I start cutting those down and, and selling them. I really wanted to push the, the upper limit of what I could do. And, and I really bit off more than I could chew. I was... I was almost uh, unable to do what I was doing, running the booth, cutting and washing all this stuff, right? And a bunch of my cousins and, and aunts came to my rescue. They saw that I was drowning. And so I would cut the, uh, the, the quick cuts harvester that Farmer's Friend has. Um, I, would, I would just literally put the trays out on a table and just cut the whole tray down. Bam, two and a half pounds of sunflower. You know, drop them in crates wash them, and then they would package them up for me, bring me a couple of full five-gallon buckets full of a microgreens mix. I sold a microgreens salad, and then I juiced the wheatgrass, and I bought like 260 young Thai coconuts, and I would open up coconuts and put a shot of wheatgrass in coconut water. Uh, makes a really good green drink. And so here's, here's the start. I couldn't find that. My wife took all the pictures towards the end. I stopped taking pictures. I was so busy. Um, and she had a bunch more pictures of, of how crazy it got. But I had basically five racks, uh, six-tiered, full to the top, four, four trays in each rack. Um, and so this is from Daystar. This is a single rack. We're basically up to about two racks consistently uh, a week, and, and we're able to do about $1,000 of sales a week, so $4,000 a month just coming from our microgreen sales. And we were just talking about an idea last night of sometimes you have more than you can sell, and... Um, Someone was suggesting in the birds of a feather to dry it out and powder it and make these, you know, superfood powders. So that, that's an idea that we're going to definitely take off. So I highly recommend starting a micro farm. If you are not in, doing anything in agriculture as of right now, or even if you are, to start doing microgreens because it is a huge benefit. You have a crop in a week to 10 days, and you can turn it off if you need to, you know, like, oh, we're going to be gone for a little bit. And so... Um, our kits, you can see here, come with a number of packets of seeds, enough soil to do three trays. And so you get a couple, three, three tries out of that. And there's more seeds in there than, than you'll need for those three trays. So you'd have to get more. We're using peat moss, uh, vermiculite, and um, a little bit of azomite mixed into our starts mix. You can use coconut core. Um, you want something that drains well. Um, but you can do very well with a microgreens um, little operation it's in a basement with some lights. You know, get a dehumidifier, get the, get the climate just right. You want about 40% humidity, and um, you can do very well uh, growing microgreens. Um, so here was another year uh, at camp meeting again. And, I mean, I got babies to drink this stuff, right? Babies drinking wheatgrass juice, old ladies to drink wheatgrass juice. They, they, this lady came every day, and she was so cute. She'd roll up in her wheelchair. She's like, this is my favorite part of camp meeting. You know, I feel so good when I drink this wheatgrass juice. And it was just so cute. Uh, and so I just I had a lot of fun serving the people that came to camp meeting. And this is in the case lot building. The reason it's called case lot is because there's lots of cases of veggie meat. Behind me, all over here on this side, is all like piles and piles of veggie meat. And people come in their motor home and they go home with cases of veggie links and, you know, Franken links and whatever uh, 
their, their desire is. And, and so um, and it was interesting. I was talking to the, one of the managers, and he said he's been watching the sales of all that stuff just do this. Every year, like, people are realizing, you know what? This stuff is so highly processed, it's probably not that good for me, you know? And they even say, like, it might even be better to eat a real hot dog than to eat one of these ones that's, you know, GMO soy and, and highly processed. And actually, I did the corn dog the last year I was there um, and had a lot of fun with that. And so um, uh, this, the last year I was there, Rico Hill, how many know Rico Hill? He was uh, the main speaker, and so in the morning, I'd whip him up a drink, and I came, and he had never tried wheatgrass, and he's like, man, this is good, and he'd walk out on stage with his coconut, and he'd put it on the podium. It was great advertising, you know. He, uh... So yeah, um, the New Life Challenge, if you haven't heard of that, you look that up. It's really, really good. So part of being um, an entrepreneur is really uh, the ability to see a need and to jump into action and to fill that need. Okay, so for example, at our school, we have a whole field of lavender, all right? And people would ask, hey, do you have any lavender seeds or plants? And we didn't. And so Gideon, he, he jumped on that and he said, hey, there's a need there. And so he made up these little packets of lavender seeds and he has these at the store and he takes them to farmer's market and that's his little side hustle, you know, to get him. Uh, um, and, and he's doing that and that's a, a benefit to people who want lavender seeds, okay? When I first got to Daystar, this, this plot is only about a third of an acre. It's about 27 rows. There's about 16 different varieties of lavender. I had no idea there were even that many varieties of lavender, white ones and green ones and purple ones and blue ones. And their idea was to grow this seed uh, plot, basically. And while the plants are still young, you can split them and, and propagate um, from the plants. And they were going to do 20 acres of lavender. Well, those farmers left and what was left was this little plot. And um, Sean Spidell, the farm manager, when I first got there, was like, I don't know what to do with this lavender. Like, lavender was piling up in all the, all the rooms, the uh, uh, attics and whatever, in cases. They had tried to bundle it and sell it in bundles, and they just couldn't sell it uh, fast enough. Every year, it just kept piling up. And so I'm like, well, let's do a little research on lavender, you know? So I did a little research and, and realized that, wow, lavender, essential oil is called the mother of all essential oils. They say, if in doubt, use lavender. Like, there's more uses for lavender than any other essential oil. Um, it's calming. It's, uh, you can disinfect an open wound with lavender. You can pour lavender right into an open wound. Um, it's, it's, it'll peel the varnish off of a wooden table. I mean, it's, it's, it's powerful stuff. You can use it directly. You don't have to... Uh, dilute it in any way. So ask yourself these three questions. Are you passionate about it? That's a big thing. If, if you're not passionate about something, in the end, when you go to push that thing, it's not going to look like you're really that interested in it, right? So you got to be passionate about what it is you're, you're, you're trying to do. The second question is, what skill set are you going to learn in order to do this thing? Or what, do you, what things do you need to learn to, in order to get this accomplished? So I, I said, well, you know, um, I'm passionate about flowers. I'd never been passionate about lavender before, but after researching a little bit, I was like, wow, this stuff looks pretty powerful. I think I should start um, doing this. So I, I need to get myself a distiller of some sort. And then the third thing is, who is it going to benefit other than yourself? Because that's what we're here for, right? We're here to be of service to others. We're here to be a blessing. So that's, a, that's one of the key aspects of any entrepreneurial endeavor is to um, how is this going to benefit others. So this is our field here, um, and we're, we cut it down with just a, a mower, collect all this stuff, knock the flowers off, and I said, okay, I need a distiller. So I looked online, and oh, look at this. I can get these ones direct from China. And I just looked. This is a recent page. I was curious to see if you could still get them. I paid $118, and this same seller is who I bought it from, Sam10086, um, he now sells for $125. Hasn't gone up that much. It may take a while for you to get it, but um, it's totally worth it. And a, a fun thing to do, especially with your kids, um, you, you, you can get a kit um, with a stand and everything um, for $218, but I found you could find a stand stateside and some clamps um, for a lot cheaper, 30 to 40 bucks maybe. And 
a hot burner, you know, $20 hot plate, you can either, you can do this on your kitchen stove or whatever, right, right in your kitchen if you, if you wanted to. So you simply just uh, set this apparatus up. We have it over there at the booth. If you're curious, you can, you can come by and look at that. You just boil water. That steam is vaporizing at 212 degrees, and lavender oil vaporizes at 190. So you easily just push the oil right off the plant with the steam. It goes over um, the bend here into what's called a condenser. And really look at the condenser. Don't get a condenser that has a straight tube in the center. You want one that either has these lobes like this or a spiraling tube to give you more surface area and to not let the, the steam just blow right through. You'll want it to waffle around in there and swirl around and, and really condense on the sides of that condenser. You run water from a sink into the outer jacket of that, and that condenses all the steam and lavender oil back into liquid. It rains down into what's called a separatory uh, funnel, and there's this overflow that comes off the bottom, so your water is, your hydrosol is overflowing off that, and catch that, because we sell that too. The hydrosol is very lavender-tasting water you can put in your tea, um, you can put it in, in cookies or whatever. People go crazy with lavender, so the, it's, a, it's a distilled water that has lavender locked into the lattice of the, wa of the water. It's very lavender-tasting, so a few squirts of it in a lemonade, and you've got lavender lemonade. And then the oil floats on the top, you empty out the water, you get lavender oil. And um, we do about, remind me what, what, what we maybe sold this year in lavender. Seems like we bottled maybe 50 bottles or something. I mean, we're a very small scale, you know. And so we're, we're it maybe brings four or $5,000 extra. But, you know, it's a little bit on the side. And it's, it's fun to do. Everybody enjoys looking at this apparatus, setting it up, and then being able to use the lavender ourselves and the oil we sell at Farmer's Market and in our little store. And we bottle it here. And consequently, this label we had designed. Do you remember the name of the, that website you used? Viber. What was it? Viber, Viber yeah. Viber. Was it? Fiverr. Fiverr. So there's a number of these type of websites that um, will do graphic design for you. If you're not a graphic design person, we paid 45 bucks. $17. Okay, we paid $17, and someone designed this label for us. And I did a couple of little tweaks, and that, and that was that. Here's the hydrosol. Um, but, it, you know, it's a decent label. I mean, it would have taken some time to have to go and do that. Fiverr. Um, another thing that we started, uh, Pam Dysinger came to the farm, and she lent us uh, uh, one of her interns from this last year who's spending a few months with us. And they taught us how to make their, her gluten-free bread. And that is a, a, a niche that really is, is good because a lot of the commercial gluten-free breads, the people who eat gluten-free breads, they're not into because there's so much gums and uh, fullest, like almost 100% starch or whatever, you know. And this is a millet, chia, flax um, recipe. And she just got it off of Christina's Kitchen. So you can go on Christina's Kitchen. You can look up her, I think she calls it uh, peasant millet bread. Um, and, um, and we mix, like here's an olive. We do an olive rosemary. We do a tomato herb. Um, we do a, uh, uh, a neighbor of ours. She's like, I want onion Provence. And so we go, okay, we do an onion Provence uh, loaf as well, which is uh, a, a mixture of herbs that actually has lavender in it um, from the southern part of France. And... Um, and so we, we do that one as well. Another need that I saw um, there at Daystar was um, we were throwing away gobs and gobs of heirloom tomatoes because they would just have, be, have cracks or seconds that we couldn't sell. And, and so I said, well, you know what? I think we should start drying these things. So we started drying them. And the, actually, the dried tomatoes are what we use in our bread. It's a lot easier to mix in a dried tomato than a, uh, a wet tomato, and you're adding water to something you don't want to really change the consistency of. So there's lots of uses for the dried tomatoes, and people like them. Um, this was an early label that a friend in Moab was playing around with, calling it Moab jerky, because they were so chewy. He was, he was calling uh, that. So branding is, is an important aspect of coming up with any sort of, of uh, thing. And you kind of want to, you know, there's a few rules in, in branding. So, you, you know, stick to two to three colors. Um, no more than three to four fonts. Three is really best. Um, and uh, make it simple. You know, the simpler, the better. Like, make it simple. Um, 
Like Dr. Bronner's soap, I mean, that's the most busy label I've ever seen. And it's taken me years to read that thing. And then you start reading it, and you're like, what is this guy talking about? Have you read that thing? I mean, it's, like, it's hilarious. Like, it sounds like he's Christian, but he's talking about a spaceship, and you're like, what is going on? Um, Canva.com is a free website where you can do graphic design, and it comes with all these elements. So these are, these are some of the, like, there's my island goodness the most nutritional drink on the planet, coconut water, wheatgrass juice that I, that I put together. And, you know, I put a little picture of, of the chlorophyll molecule right next to the red blood cell and, and talked about how within just uh, three days, two, two ounces a day is basically like a blood transfusion is the studies that they've done with, with wheatgrass juice. Um, you can design a T-shirt, a label. This was our old farm label that we designed um, for Castle Valley Farms, you can, you can like, the, the elements there with the carrot and the mountain in our landscape were drawn by uh, um, Brian Dunn he, when he was at Daystar, and we imported those into, you can import images into this program as well and use those elements as well. And, and my daughters have, I started them account, and they're making flyers and, and all sorts of stuff. They'll, they'll mention a little bit about it in the next section here with, with Entrepreneurs in Action. Um, the Carrot Hot Dog is another endeavor that, that we started there at Daystar that um, is really trying to fill that gap. And, and the first, this is our first, fourth time doing it at the Ag Conference. The first time we did it um, was here, the, the, the last time it was here. And then we did it in Oregon and in Florida and then again here. And um, that's something that, that uh, you know, is a, it's just such a great outreach into the community. Like people, when they go to farmer's market with this, they're always so curious. You know, I even had a couple of guys come up and, and, and they're like, okay, we'll try one of your hot dogs, you know. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, what do you want on it? And he's like, well, whatever you suggest. And I said, well, okay, I say everything. He's like, all right, we'll take everything. So I put everything on there. And they ate one, and they turned around, yeah, we'll take another one, you know. And they didn't, oh, we'll take another one, you know. These two guys ate a couple hot dogs each. And then afterwards, I wish I would record it. They told me they were from Boston. And they're like, you know, they, they eat a lot of hot dogs on the street. That was their favorite thing on their, the, the Boston, you know, street hot dogs. And you would never put ketchup on a hot dog, you know. But, man, that was really good. And, um, and so we've gotten into making all these condiments. You know, we make that ketchup that we're using over there is a, just basically tomato, our, our heirloom tomatoes dates, onion powder, sea salt, and some sauerkraut brine. And then uh, same with the mustard is, is just sunflower seeds, turmeric, uh, sauerkraut brine, some lemon juice. And um, so you can, you can uh, replace all the vinegars that are there in the, in the condiments with lemon juice oftentimes. And then um, make a carrot taste like a hot dog, you know, and offer something better, right? That uh, is... You know, we're trying, we were trying to take one of the most unhealthy American foods and, and see how could we make this as healthy as possible. And it gives us a chance to talk about health with, with people, and, and it is starting to gain steam. People in Moab have written articles in the paper about it, and um, we're really looking for a food truck is our, is our next endeavor. I mean, we are instructed to have gardens attached to every institution that we put on the ground. You realize that? I mean, if it's a sanitarium, for sure, have a garden. If it, like the Paradise Hospital, before Paradise burned down, it's where I grew up, um, and where I moved from just before coming to Daystar. We were glad we moved when we heard about that situation. We were so sorry for all our friends and family that still live there. But that hospital was started by an Adventist guy, and he was, his whole endeavor was to... um, have a sanitarium. He hired his brother, and their whole endeavor was to heal people with food. His brother was the gardener, and, and they did this whole thing, and then they, they, he gave it to the Adventist church there in town. He said, I want you guys t- to take this and keep this going. Well, they turned around and, and uh, sold it to Adventist Health, and it just went down. And his famous quote is, the whole thing started going down once the surgery ward went in. Um, and so, you know, Obviously, we've gotten off track, right? I mean, you, you think about what we were called to do in terms of health and how we've just kind of fallen in line with Western medicine. It always cracks me up that, that 
that's the norm, and they call using herbs and natural remedies and all this stuff alternative when it's the exact opposite. You know, this is alternative over here. I mean, this, this is just it's drug therapy. These, I mean, treating symptoms um, is, or managing symptoms, I should say, is not, is not true health, like, like Dr. Kelly was talking about this morning as well. Uh, this gave us an opportunity to, to build this little cart. Um, the manager of our local market, he said, hey, I want you guys to come and operate the carrot hot dog at, uh, at our opening of our deli that we they renovated the whole store. They put in a deli, and they put this big carrot on the wall, like on the outside of the building. And they're like, come and just set up a carrot hot dog stand, like right under the carrot. And we're like, okay. Well, we need a cart because uh, we were just we'd done it a few times at farmers market on a folding table, and so I had just noticed that that one of the barrels that we have for decoration out front of the farm the rings had fallen off and the barrel collapsed and someone just threw all the slats in the in the wood pile is going to get burned, and I told the kids I go go grab all those slats, and so they grabbed all those oak slats, we welded up a quick little frame, we used two slats to give the curve at the at the front of the cart, and then we just welded on some strips of metal. And then we bend it around, torch a hole, put a slat, bend it around, and just made, it's basically one barrel that, that makes that, that cart up. And the kids had fun learning how to weld and, and, um, and build this, this little cart and paint it all. And so that was the start of, of, our, uh, of our hot dog cart. And, um, and yeah, it turned out really nice. It, in this stainless steel top, I was just in the wood shop one day, and I looked, looked in the pile there, and I saw this corner of a stainless steel thing. I was like, what is it? <laughs> I don't even know where it came from. I was like, this is perfect for the cart. So we basically built the cart around that top. We made all our own buns. So we um, made a whole wheat bun and all organic uh, ingredients. And so we, we weigh out each bun to get the, the, the consistency just right. It took a little bit to figure that all out. And here we are operating it for the first time at, at this conference. We've set up in front of the main, this is right to the left of the main auditorium as you go in there. And, and the kids have really taken ownership. You know, they, they enjoy operating this and, and, and having that as a service, you know. Um, so um, if you haven't tried it, I encourage you to come by and, and, and try it out. Um, put a little beans on there or whatever, and, and it becomes a, a good food. So... And then the corn dog is something we just recently in the last two years started doing. We found some waffle irons that we can make a corn dog with. So, you know, we should really, I really feel that uh, we should be the people of restaurants and food trucks. I mean, I always say food truck because a restaurant is hard, you know. I had a friend, actually the lady who shared with me the recipe for the carrot hot dog. She had a, a, uh, a restaurant in Fairfield called Vegan Paradise. Her and her husband operated for one year. They closed the doors one year later and broke even. And I said, well, that gets you pretty good. I mean, if you could break even your first year as a restaurant, that's pretty good. And she's like, yeah, but we need to make some money. You know, we can't, we can't just have this thing. And so wherever they were at, that's, that's it. So you got to think about that. If you're not ready to float yourself for a bit until this thing takes off, a food truck is a great way to go. Or a little trailer, you know. Um, you can get that. You can go into place. You can cater some event. It's mobile. You can turn it on. You can turn it off. You can work whatever days you want. You don't feel like you have to be open all the time. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely worth it. And so um, we've been looking for a, a food truck for Daystar. I think it would be a good thing to do. The other idea we have is, is, is a, a vegan pizza restaurant, outside pizza restaurant. Uh, just put a tin roof up and build some pizza ovens, wood fire pizza ovens, and then grow all the ingredients right there on the farm. So we're growing all the grains for the crust, tomatoes for the sauce, you know, all the toppings and everything would be something that came from the farm, make a full uh, farm-to-plate type restaurant where the food didn't even get in a vehicle, you know, walked over there on a cart. Um, so I'll share with you the recipe for the carrot hot dog because, I, I mean, this isn't something I'm just trying to keep to myself. Um, and so anybody wants to do this, I encourage you to do it. Um, you take uh, 60 to 80 carrots, steam those for 15 to 20 minutes or so, and um, 
till they're soft. Like you, based on your elevation, it's going to be, be a little bit different. You know, you just want them nice and soft because they're not really going to soften once you, once you uh, go to grill them or, or whatever. They won't really cook much more unless you boil them or something, which, you know, might boil out some of the flavoring. So um, we use like a two-gallon food-grade bucket. We pack them in that, or you can use mason jars. Um, the Adams peanut butter jars work really well because they're tall and they're big, and you can fit like 12 to 15 carrots in one of those jars. So um, 60 to 80 carrots seems like a lot, but it's not. Um, you can share them with friends, and so this is, this is a single batch. And uh, I think we did five of these batches or so on, on coming here. We came with like right around 500 carrots. So completely submerge the carrots in, a, in this marinade which is four cups water, half a cup of lemon juice, three quarters of a cup blackstrap molasses, a one, cup, one and a quarter cup of coconut aminos, half a cup of liquid smoke, three, a third cup of honey or coconut sugar, and five cloves of crushed garlic. Um, coconut aminos are completely different than the bragaminos. You know, bragaminos has gotten some bad press lately that um, that's a chemical process to strip the aminos out of the vegetable broth or whatever. They make that stuff. They won't even tell you how they make it. I called a couple of the companies that we buy coconut aminos from. I said, how do you make this? And it's simply the sap from the coconut tree. And I, when I was in the Marshall Islands as a student missionary, I saw this all over the place. Any coconut tree that was this tall or, you know, around where you could reach, there was a pipe poked into the cone, uh, the growth cone of that tree. So where the fronds are growing out of, they poke a pipe in there and they hang a jar on a nail and it drips this sap out and it's super sweet and so they would just and it's full of amino acids and and you know it's just the sap of a coconut tree and then so this these companies say they just reduce that they filter it they reduce it they filter it they bottle it that's that's what it is so um and then the liquid smoke, I was like, what's liquid smoke? And some of them you have to be careful. Like they'll say other ingredients, which there's ingredients hidden in there that you may not want. Or, or they'll put a distilled vinegar um, in the liquid smoke as well. I found a company that it's just a distiller. They put this mesquite wood in there and they distill water through the wood. And it's just smoky flavored water is essentially all it is. And that's what gives it the barbecue flavor. And if, you know, you can experiment. If you don't want to put that in there, don't, don't put that in there. Put something else. Kind of play with the recipe. We played with it a little bit when we first, first got it, and this is kind of what we've, we've landed on. So, um, yeah, I uh, wanted to uh, be able to share that with everyone and, and hope that that encourages some of you to, to start something. Uh, you know, start something around the farm, Right supporting a local farm or whatever, doing something with food. I mean, this is the right arm. It's that thing that we reach out with into somebody's life. That's how we're a blessing, right? That's how we're a blessing to somebody. That's how you, that's how you work the soil and soften the heart is by showing somebody you actually care for them, care for their health, care for um, uh, what it is they're uh, feeding their family, you know? And then you can bring to them the seeds of truth and, and with a prayerful spirit, hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll grow and that they'll accept the truth about what is happening in our world today and that, man, this thing's about to wrap up. I mean, we, we don't have much time. That's why I always tell young people, man, I don't know if you have time to go to college. If you're passionate about something, start it. Do it right now. Just start, you know. And if you fall, get back up right? Oh, and by the way, so you put these carrots in the brine for 24 to 48 hours before you eat them. So may the Lord bless you on your entrepreneurial endeavors. And remember, our business here is to know God and to make him known. And that by answering the call to be a blessing and to serve one another with a Christ-like love, right? That is, that is our, that's our call. And most importantly, if you fall down, get back up, right? And trust that God will bless your efforts. Amen? Okay. Uh, any questions? We've got a few minutes. What's the name of the company, uh, Liquid Smoke? Uh, Living Nutritionals was one that we originally started buying from. And then I can't remember um, what the second one was. It's been hard to find the Living Nutritionals one. But um, if you just search, and you can always call these places and ask them what's in it, you know, and they'll, they'll be honest with you and tell you. So... Yes.
Yeah, that was a question on where we got the liquid smoke. Yeah, so the question is, what, are, what were some obstacles in, in starting something? Like with the Supertonic, for me, um, an obstacle was money. You know, it, it was in the very beginning there. And that's why uh, I never had really started anything. I was just kind of doing it on my own, little by little. And then, and then I had not, had, had not heard of Kickstarter, and a friend said, hey, why don't you check out Kickstarter? So, you know, m- money wasn't an issue at that point, you know, and that gave me that start, just that little start, you know, of, and, and really work out the math of what you need to start and then do something like that. Um, people are willing to help. And, and especially if they see that, man, this, this person's got a good idea, you know, or, or whatever. And they, that's why they back it, because they're like, hey, that looks cool. Yeah, I'll back that. And they, you know, you get a few people together all pitching in 20, 50, 100 bucks, and, and you can get there pretty quickly. Um, and pray about it. If, if the Lord, you know, wants you to do something, it's going to happen. Money's, money's not, it can't be an obstacle. Um, one of the obstacles um, early on, too, was, was uh, peeling all the garlic. That was a big obstacle. I mean, I had my kids like, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take you to the park. And I was bribing them with everything, you know, like, peel this garlic. Maybe in there peeling garlic. <laughs> and, um, and so um, I've peeled it a lot, but I've also, uh, Christopher Ranch in California, uh, they gifted us a bunch of garlic um, for the farm. And you can, from Costco, I could buy peeled organic garlic already in a bag. And so I tend to kind of gravitate to that when I have to do a big batch. I end up doing anywhere from 10 to 15 gallons at a time. And uh, like this, this last year, March, I mean, I sold more in March than I've sold in, in six months previously. I mean, it was just like everybody was freaking out, you know, and they're like, ah. So it was difficult. But any other questions? The follow-up with Kickstarter, really the, the commitment is, you know, it's a very public uh, thing that you're doing. And so, yeah, you know, if you put that on there and your whole project funds and then you never send anybody anything, um, they'll never let you back on the site, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah, you tell up front what you're, how you're planning to fulfill this thing. So um, it's on you to fulfill it. They, 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 don't, uh, they don't bug you about it. They encourage you to put on there, put dates of when you think you'll be able to fulfill this thing. I mean, I've seen people um, fully, uh, it, it totally ruined them actually. Like one, one family, they had this family recipe for pickles, and they made this cute little video, and it was so appealing, it went viral. And I mean, all of a sudden, they had literally a million and a half dollars worth of pickle sales that they could not fulfill. And, and I thought, when I first backed, I backed the project, and when I first backed it, I thought, that's pretty cheap, you know, 20 bucks, and they're going to send me like four jars of pickles? Like, that's like the shipping, you know. And so they didn't really work out all their math, I think. So I think they kind of put themselves in a pickle, no pun intended, um, and, uh, and were not able to, um, um, to, uh, to fulfill that. And so they had to, I mean, I remember the, the letters, you know, the emails coming back and everything saying that they were, they were uh, having to give back everybody's money. So they, because the thing flew, I mean, they had to send back everybody's money. So that's how they did it. Um, see, Javier just sent me this website. You want me to show this? Oh, yeah. So here, this was the, uh, one of the Coconut Amino brands that, that we buy um, on Amazon, Coconut Secret. Any other questions? So, yeah, I had that there at the end. I kind of just briefly mentioned how long do we let the carrots sit in the marinade. You want them the first uh, – I actually – Got the, the recipe from Charmaine Vieira, Danny Vieira's wife. She did a cooking class on, on YouTube, and that was one of the first links when I first searched. And um, she said 24 hours. And I've try, I tried to push that and try them in 10 hours, and yeah, you have, to, you have to at least let them marinate for 24 hours. 48 hours is even better, and it just gets better. I mean, these carrots that we have, we have them in the fridge um, but I've tested the brine. It's, it's 4.3 acidity, so it's in, in a safe level of acidity to be shelf-stable. But um, um, it, they, they only gain in flavor as, as you let them marinate longer. So a week, two weeks is not, not going to hurt it. We actually did. I'm glad you mentioned that. This was actually the first attempt uh, to can them, and we canned them. Um, we put raw carrots in the 
in the jar and then put the marinade and brought them to a boil and then canned them for, in a water bath for 30 minutes. And so, and that was, they were pretty much perfect consistency there. And so we brought, I don't know, a dozen jars here. So um, if you're curious, you can buy one of those and, and try that uh, as well. We have those available. Yeah, the marinade's acidic enough that, uh, that we, were, we felt is probably fine. You know, we've kept them in the fridge this whole, this whole time anyway, but, um, but they are canned, so, and the jars did seal. So, okay. Well, let's take a little break. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.